Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream that I think you're really going to enjoy. So today I want to take a look at a piece from the paper of record, of course, the New York Times. Now, uh, the headline is obviously pretty bombastic. Elections are bad for democracy. Now, why am I showing you a snapshot of it instead of showing you the article itself? Well, of course, because they stealth edited the headline as soon as they realized that it wasn't playing very well. Now, this is something that happens quite a bit in our media today. Uh, you know, they run out there, they do something stupid, they go ahead and change it and hope that most people don't see it. Uh, this means that now people can kind of A-B test headlines, papers can run something spicier out there in the front to make sure it gets clicks, gets attention for a second. And if they don't like where it's going, then they just go back and change it. Now, obviously, you know, we still have the record there, but it's it's a strategy that they use to see if they can, you know, they, they want to get the clicks, they want to get the attention, they want the controversy. They are journalists after all. And so they're going to run out that more controversial headline first. Now that headline might be more controversial, but it's also relatively accurate. We're going to see what the, uh, what the guy has to say here, what the author has to say here in just a moment. Uh, he'll put up a, a new headline that is a little more uh, on the levels is something that'll that'll be a little easier for people to digest. Uh, but both headlines are relatively accurate to kind of what he's trying to express here. So we're going to dive into this New York Times article. What were they saying here? Uh, why were they suddenly attacking elections? Isn't this a bad time for them to be attacking elections? We'll get into all that in just a moment, guys. But before we do, let's hear from today's sponsor. Universities today aren't just neglecting real education, they're actively undermining it, and we can't let them get away with it. America was made for an educated and engaged citizenry. The Intercollegiate Studies Institute is here to help. ISI offers programs and opportunities for conservative students across the country. ISI understands that conservatives and right-of-center students feel isolated on college campuses and that you're often fighting for your own reputation, dignity, and future. Through ISI, you can learn about what Russell Kirk called the permanent things, the philosophical and political teachings that shaped and made Western civilization great. ISI offers many opportunities to jumpstart your career. They have fellowships at some of the nation's top conservative publications like National Review, The American Conservative, and The College Thinker. If you're a graduate student, ISI offers funding opportunities to sponsor the next great generation of college professors. Through ISI, you can work with conservative thinkers who are making a difference, Thinkers like Chris Rufo, who currently has an ISI researcher helping him with his book. But perhaps most importantly, ISI offers college students a community of people that can help them grow. If you're a college student, ISI can help you start a student organization or a student newspaper or meet other like-minded students at their various conferences and events. ISI is here to educate the next generation of great Americans. To learn more, go to ISI.org. That's ISI.org. All right, guys, so let's get back to our article here. Now, as you can see, there's now the much safer headline, uh, the worst people run for office. It's a time, uh, it's time for a better way. Now, obviously, like I said, this is a dicey time for the New York Times to be talking about elections. Uh, obviously, the, the topic of elections is hot and only getting hotter as the left tries to jail the primary uh, political opposition in the United States, uh, whether you love him or hate him. Donald Trump is very clearly uh, the, the most prominent uh, uh, person in when it comes to political opposition of the left in the United States. Uh, and so going out there and saying we're going to get rid of elections is, is something that's probably a little too spicy. 
for the New York Times, kind of saying the quiet part out loud in a very real way. But of course, that wasn't the intention. They're going to say something a little different. They didn't just mean get rid of elections. Uh, they're going to they're propose something different here. So let's go ahead and dive into this real quick, and we'll see what their uh, what their plan is here. Now, this is by uh, Adam Grant. Uh, he's, of course, a professor here. Uh, he's the one that's going to be making uh, kind of this assertion that we should be doing away with the election part of democracy. I know what you're saying. How could you still have democracy if you've gotten rid of elections? Well, in this case, we'll see he's talking about just choosing people from the demos. All right, so on the eve of the first debate of, of the 2024 presidential race, trust in government is rivaling historic lows. Officials have been working hard to safeguard elections and assure citizens of their integrity. So right from the beginning, we can kind of see where this is going, right? So he's going to say at the beginning uh, something that's very true, which is no one trusts the government at this point. Uh, very few people uh, trust the government implicitly. Uh, they understand that it's kind of a dangerous uh, kind of what's happening with the government right now. So a lot of people do not like what the government's doing. Uh, and so trust in it is very low. But in the next sentence, he's going to say, but don't worry, officials have been working to safeguard elections and assure citizens of their integrity. Uh, no, they're not. <laughs> no, they're not at all. That That's not true even in the slightest. Actually, officials have been working very, very hard to bend and break the rules uh, when it comes to the electoral process, which is why no one trusts uh, the government or one of the very big reasons that no one trusts the government. And again, we don't need to have any kind of conspiracy theories. I mean, you can believe what you want about, you know, bursting pipes and water mains and, uh, you know, magical shipments of ballots at 3M. Like, I'll let you speculate on all that stuff. I'm not making, to be very clear, YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. I'm not making any uh, any official statements on that one way or another, but we don't have to speculate about that kind of stuff, no matter how obvious it might be. Uh, we don't have to speculate on that. There are plenty of things that are well inside the Overton window, things that have been openly admitted, that are openly documented, that show that actually government officials have not been working at all to safeguard elections. We've seen from the Twitter files that there's active interference by intelligence agencies by FBI and other federal uh, law enforcement uh, apparatus to directly interfere in the kind of knowledge that gets spread on social media, even things that we know are explicitly true when it comes to a certain disease people have heard about, or when it comes to uh, when, when it comes to say the story from uh, the New York Post about the Hunter Biden laptop. All of those things we know for sure. We have the documentation. Elon Musk provided it through the Twitter files. Uh, that these are things that the government actively uh, manipulates during an election cycle. We also know for sure that people like Mark Zuckerberg bought out basically large chunks of the American electoral system through a funding scheme. You can check out Molly Hemingway's book about that if you want to get more details. And then, of course, we also know that Time Magazine explicitly ran an article talking about what they call a cabal, a shadowy cabal that worked together to save or fortify uh you know elections so all of those things are they're not hidden it's there's there's no conspiracy theory theory here those are things that are openly admitted to by the government or openly admitted to by mainstream media media or that we have explicit documentation from the source of uh kind of social media companies like twitter so we know all of this is stuff is stuff is going on but you still notice that in the second sentence he still frames it as if electoral uh, uh, you know uh, officials are working to safeguard 
uh, you know, the reputation of elections. That's obviously not true. So there, there's nothing controversial is going to come out of this article is basically what I'm going to say right away, because we know he's hedging his bets at the beginning. He wants to make sure that he knows he's one of the good ones, uh, that he's not one of those very dangerous right wing people who would throw uh, questions on the electoral process. Uh, so so this is just really a bit of of kind of uh, a navel gazing, edgy posting a little bit by by this guy here. But I want to go into it because it does reveal some interesting things about how academics might think about uh, democracy. Uh, the, the language he uses and the way he shades it, I think, reveals a number of things about the way people think about democracy, especially the ruling class, that is well worth getting into. So let's get back to our article. Uh, but if if we want public office to have integrity, we might be better off eliminating elections altogether. So here we go. And and to be fair, based based right, uh, you know, he, he's not entirely wrong here. I want, want to be clear. Uh, but but let's get into this a little more before I, before I explain what I agree with and what I'd quibble on. Uh, if you think that this sounds anti-democratic, think again. The ancient Greeks invented democracy, and in Athens, many government officials were selected through uh, sortition a random lottery from a pool of candidates. In the United States, we are used a version of lottery to select jurors. What if we did the same with mayors, governors, legislators, justices, and even presidents? Uh, I hate to break it to this guy, but uh, jurors probably aren't your best example. The American justice system isn't really known for its excellent jury uh, trials or excellent juror pools. Also, uh, no one wants to do these anymore. The only people who are stuck in kind of uh yeah and this is a bad sign right that people feel stuck uh kind of kind of doing this civic duty but the only people who end up stuck you know in in these situations are those who don't have another way to get out everyone with an excuse uh uses it to immediately opt out of jury duty that kind of thing uh so so this probably isn't a great uh, a great thing to begin with uh but you'll also notice that he references athens and their founding of democracy a lot of people do this uh, when I taught, uh, you know, American history and they would reference, you know, the, the founding and its, its ties back to Athens. They would often leave out the fact that Athenian democracy wasn't exactly a rousing success. A lot of people uh, think of Athens as just the first democracy, but actually that's very late in its history and things didn't exactly go well uh, kind of for very long after it transitioned to democracy. So, you know, they just say Athenian democracy because they think that's something that we're supposed to like, that that's something we're supposed to kind of uh, be excited about. But they never really go into it. So because you never want the history to get you know in the way of of your example, I guess. So they just kind of sweep that aside. But anyway, back to our article. Uh, people expect leaders chosen at random to be less effective than those picked systemically. But in multiple experiments led by psychologist Alexander Haslam, the opposite held true. Now. To be fair, again, uh, I'm all for kind of pointing out the problems systemically when it comes to group selection. There's a lot of problems with the mechanics of the democratic process that create real issues. And so I'm going to agree with him on some of this, right? That there's going to be points of this where I think I think this is actually true. However, this experiment citation is pretty dubious because if you look into the experiment, it's just kind of a couple of groups that were selected uh, you know, they're, they're supposed to be in this life and death situation. But of course, it can't really be in a life and death situation because this is an experiment. So there's no real pressure here. You're right. Uh, but anyway, one one group, they kind of vote. And the other one, they uh, come in at random and the random ones do better in general. But this is really in no way a good way to understand what would happen to, say, randomly selecting leaders for a global spanning empire like the United States or when real life and death is on the line, these kind of things. 
So uh, it, this is kind of one of those I cited experts and studies scenarios, uh, you know, thing where where we say this to just justify the point we're trying to make. But there's not really a lot of weight to this. It's not like he has some kind of scientific data that really shows what's happening here. This isn't any kind of hard science. This is the softest of the soft social science that's just kind of tagged onto here to try to give it legitimacy while he's writing his opinion piece. Uh, groups actually make smarter decisions when leaders are chosen at random and, uh, than when they are elected by a group or chosen based on leadership skill. Again, some of that's true, some of that's false. I'll get into why as he kind of talks through his reasoning here later in the article. So why were randomly chosen leaders more effective? They led more democratically. Systemically elected leaders can undermine group goals, said uh, Dr. Islam and his colleagues suggest uh, and his colleagues suggest because they have a tendency to assert their personal superiority. When you're anointed by the group, it can quickly go to your head. I'm the chosen one. Okay, so there's a lot here uh, that I think is is bad reasoning here. Uh, so first, I I'm willing to guess that yeah, actually you could in certain scenarios get a random person who's going to do better than elected leaders because there are a number of perverse incentives in elected leaders, but I don't really think they're the ones that he's necessarily identifying here. So the first one is, is kind of talking about how they undermine group goals because people who are chosen randomly are, are uh, rule more democratically. So notice what's happening to the word democratically here. So originally, most people would think democracy means selecting your leaders by voting. That's kind of the most basic understanding for most people when it comes to democracy. But now we've removed that definition of democracy and we're just saying that, well, uh, the, some of the uh, officials in one democracy were selected a particular way. Again, that's not all officials in Athenian democracy. There was voting in Athenian democracy. Uh, you know, but he's just picking one specific section of one specific democracy, one ancient democracy, and saying, well, this is this is a norm throughout democracy. So we're already radically changing the name of it. And then when he says led more democratically, that just means in the interest of the group. But of course, that's not the only way that one can rule in the interest of a group. Democracy is not the only time and the only government system in which, uh, you know, the government works for the better of a group. And anyway, that's not what most people mean when they mean democracy. When they mean democracy, they mean input, right? The, the, the voice is the key aspect that people think about when it comes to democracy. Everyone has their say. We come to some kind of consensus and we move forward. So what he's really talking about is actually just creating a random autocracy. So what he's really talking about is he's actually just going to create a king. He's just going to create a monarch. But the monarch is just going to be chosen from the people. He doesn't really talk about like how often, how long. I'm, I'm just going to assume I'm going to go with a Roman guess of like a year, right? For uh, uh, you know, for uh, for leadership, like they they get chosen for a year or something. Um, so so I'm just going to assume you, you become a consul for a year, like you would in Rome. Though again, that's not random in Rome. But the point being is you would be selected, but you there would be no vote right so he's really talking about getting rid of the democracy from democracy which again okay yeah that's probably going to remove a lot of the problems a lot of the issues around the incentives of democracy but that is not democratic and that's certainly not ruling or be or being led or being selected more democratically it's actually removing large chunks of the democracy but you're just feeling better because you called it like randomness 
instead of, I don't know, the divine right of kings or, you know, uh, will to power or something. Uh, but but you still have the same thing, which is basically an autocracy by another name. It's a random selection of it. And so this this is really a uh, this is a lot of word games here, right? He, he's he's stretching and twisting and recompacting the definition of democracy in a very specific way to kind of try to make a, a novel point. And this is really a big problem with academics is that it's all about just kind of making this and it's working for him. Obviously, he made a big splash on the New York Times. But like I said, I wanted to dive into this because I want to I want to note the trickery of some of this language and how it does make some reasonable points about problems with our electoral democracy. But it then couches them in very safe and particular language to keep kind of coding himself as somebody who isn't suggesting what he's really suggesting, which is a you know, uh, autocracy at random. Uh, but he says, uh, because they have a tendency to assert their personal uh, superiority. When you're anointed by a group, it can quickly go to your head. I'm the chosen one. Now, I guess, again, that could be true, right? But that could also just be true of somebody at random. You have all the power and there's really no tie to you. You know, there's no limits because you didn't earn it. There's, there's no way you got there. But I'll get into that more in a second. The main thing here, because uh, he talks about it more. But the main thing here is this idea that, uh, you know, you're, you're going to get the I am the chosen one mentality. That's true, but usually through the democracy, that's because people are using the force of the people, right? The will of the people. So, for instance, again, uh, a lot of people have made this point, uh, you know, uh, Bertrand de Juvenal, Curtis Yarvin, that somebody who speaks with the popular uh, voice has more authority. They can make larger demands. The king might have been a very powerful guy, right, with, with a long lineage of ruling over things. But he was still only one man, and so his interests were his own, and he had to negotiate with many of the local or regional powers, his his barons, his you know th those kind of things, his noblemen, for him to be able to to take action. So we're kind of seeing a scenario where, he, again, he's really describing something that's like the strength of a monarchy, where 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 you are an autocracy, where like one man doesn't have, he's not speaking with the voice of the people because he wasn't you know he wasn't selected in this way. Uh, he, he doesn't have this this force of democracy behind him. So you're really just talking about fixing democracy by removing all the incentives of democracy, which, again, may be a good point, but it, it's it's not fixing democracy. You're, you're creating a different system. When you know you're picked at random, you don't experience enough power to be corrupted by it. Instead, you feel a heightened sense of responsibility. I did nothing to earn this, so I need to make sure I represent the group well. And one of the uh, and in one of the Haslam experiments, when a leader was picked at random, members were more likely to stand by the group's decisions. So again, I think there's a lot of uh, bad bad reasoning here. So yeah, you, there might be people who feel this way, but I think that's only because they have grown up in the democratic system. So it's not actually, if you look at history, apparent to people. Um, that people should be selected through some kind of democratic process. In fact, it's it's rather odd that people are selected through this process. And so the idea that you know you would feel bad or guilty for not being selected democratically is really specifically tied to the context of kind of modernity, uh, especially the last you know 100 years of modern uh, you know uh, Western liberal democracy, where this has become the norm and everyone just kind of assumes this is how power is transferred. So I can definitely see a bunch of people who are used to voting, used to the idea that you kind of get this vote and that's what gives you power. 
I could see them sheepishly being like, oh, well, I didn't earn this. I didn't go through the process, so I can't really take advantage of this. I could see a, a first generation of people who grew up with this norm feeling this way. The problem is assuming that this would continue. And again, that's the problem with this experiment in general. It's not really an experiment. And even if it was, you can't really follow its second, third, fourth generations of what would happen after. I think if leadership became something that was random on a regular basis and everyone just assumed this is how it would run, I think the kind of the novelty of being chosen at random would wear off. And I think then people would really shift their incentive structure, especially when the first person who does this realizes like, hey, uh, I get here by random. I didn't actually do anything to earn it and I can't uh, lose it you know, until it's time for someone else to be chosen at random. So really, I can kind of just do whatever I want. I can loot the treasury. I can run away because this is, you know, I already the, one of the problems with the democracy we already have is that the limited time people are in charge means that it's best for them to just kind of take everything they can while they're there, right? Because they don't have to worry about passing it on to somebody else. The only incentive to actually take care of anything in a democracy is that you might be held accountable by the voters which isn't still very good uh, incentive because actually you're not elected by the voters. You're elected by uh, a very uh, selectorate, a very particular uh, swath of the voters who are connected to your patronage network, that kind of thing. And so that, that doesn't even work. But now you're going to even remove that and you're going to just basically hand the person a rental car, right? You got a rental car for a week. Uh, you, you, know, you, did, you got it for free and you can turn it. You'll turn it in when you're done and it, you don't have to worry about it. You can't pass it on to your children. You don't have to deal with the consequences of what you did to it at, during that week. So treat it however you like. And that's basically what you're incentivizing if you're just picking people at random. So yeah, I can see, again, people who were raised in a tradition where you know, a merit or some kind of uh, election was tied uh, to, to you being selected as, as maybe feeling sheepish and feeling unworthy and doing their best for the group because they want to prove that they deserve to be there. But I really doubt that that would continue long term because that's just not how human nature works. And I think that's going to be a consistent problem in this article is he's going to ignore how new human nature works. He's just going to hope that this is going to engineer the best outcome that people are going to continuously kind of have this goodwill about them by being randomly selected. Uh, but I don't really think that would be the case over the long term. Over the past year, I've floated the idea of sort, uh, sortition with a number of different members of Congress. Their immediate concern is ability. How could we make sure that citizens chosen at random are capable of governing? Uh, I don't think members of Congress need to worry about that. They're not capable of governing. Uh, we, we all saw the, I mean, how many people who are well into their 70s or 80s have like now frozen up, you know, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, these people, uh, uh, you know, we, uh, we have people who can barely talk, barely think, uh, sh should, should not be involved in government at all. They're regularly part of that. So I'll give them credit here. Removing that is, is probably a, a positive thing. Uh, you, you really need to put an age limit on that random uh, selection. I don't think he actually suggests that here, but he most certainly should. Uh, so, so yeah, getting rid of that is, is a good idea. And I think uh, any members of Congress who think that that's a, a problem should probably kind of check their own ability to govern at this point. In ancient Athens, people had a choice about whether to participate in the lottery. They they also had to pass on on an exam. They had also had to pass an examination of their capacity to exercise public rights and duties. So wow, this is doing a lot of work. This so this this two sentences is doing a, a lot of work. Um, so he's very 
not specific about what you needed to be to to to, to be capable of of being part of government in Athens, and he does that on purpose because uh, that's not how this worked at all. Uh, people did not get to choose whether or not they participated in the lottery. I mean, yes, if you were a citizen of particular standing and eligible, you I guess you could opt out. But lots and lots of Athenians were in no way eligible because they weren't considered Athenians. Uh, what he leaves out here is that in Athens, you needed to be a, a free man, right? So no women, no slaves who made up vast population of uh, of Athens. So there's a huge swath of people completely ineligible. They can't opt in. That's You can't pass a test and show their competency. That didn't exist at all. And on top of that, uh, of course, you needed to like be basically by blood Athenian, right? Like maybe you, know, you needed to be part of the tribe. Like maybe you could have been, uh, you know, there for a long time and, and intermarried and eventually you would be accepted and you, and you could have passed into kind of the, the, the pool here for selection. But, uh, but, but this, this idea that the Athens was just like, well, everybody just sign up down at the chalkboard and uh, you can go ahead and be part of the democracy. I mean, that is comically not true. And he just kind of sidesteps all of that because again, we wouldn't want any kind of, actual understanding of history actual understanding of uh of kind of what made a a nation at this time the the, the city state uh they, they don't really talk about that right because that 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 would really mess with the narrative uh so so he avoids all of that when he's talking about that which is going to be a big problem because like then he's just ignoring all of the historical fact on which he's basing this and saying but we should still copy the system but with this totally modern thing that has nothing to do uh, with you know no connections to what actual Athenian uh, quote unquote democracy looked like, uh, which which again is a, a theme that we'll see very often here. In America, imagine that anyone who wants to enter the pool has to pass a civics test, the same standard as immigrants applying for citizenship. So, anyone who's an immigrant by default can can be randomly selected to rule. Uh, again. Uh, that's not even how the law works now, by the way. Uh, if you are, if you're an immigrant, you have to live here for a certain amount of time to run for Congress, to run for Senate, and you can't be an immigrant and run for president. So to hold these offices, to hold federal office, uh, you need to have been a resident of the United States and a confirmed citizen for, I think it's like seven years for Congress. Sorry, it's been a little while. I know it's 14 years for president. You have to live here for 14 years and be a natural born citizen uh, for Congress and Senate, you can, or for, sorry, uh, the House and the Senate, you can uh, have been born elsewhere, but you have to have been a naturalized citizen for, I think, five years and then seven years, something like that. So that's not even how the law works now. So you would say that basically someone has to not live here at any amount of time, not have any familiarity with the country, not have any idea of what's going on, not be part of any community, had no assimilation time. And they can just go ahead and hold elected office over people who have been here for generations. Uh, that's that's I mean, that's a crazy system. I mean, passing a civics test. OK, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of down with that in general for everybody who wants to do basically anything, uh, you know. But that, but again, I, you know, I've taught this stuff. I've given people civics tests uh, that they, they weren't really ready to rule the United States. So I, I don't know if that's a, that, that might be a necessary but totally insufficient condition. Uh, for how we do this. You might not mind up with leaders who understand the Constitution. You probably would not, uh, actually. Again, having administered civics tests, having passed people through civics tests, um, uh, no, like they, they probably still don't know much about the, the Constitution. Uh, so a lottery would also improve our odds of avoiding the worst candidates 
in the first place. When it comes to character, our elected officials aren't exactly crushing it. I mean, okay, that part's true. Hard, hard to argue. Uh, to paraphrase William F. Buckley Jr., I'd rather be governed by the first 535 people in the phone book. Again, you know, William F. Buckley, I, ha I have some disagreements, but uh, but he was right about that in the, the current American ruling class. That would be accurate. Uh, that's because the people most drawn to power are usually the least fit to wield it. So here we're going to get into some, some more psychologizing that I think is is a little uh, incorrect. So the most dangerous traits in leadership are uh, what psychologists call the dark triad of personality traits, narcissism, Machiavell uh, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy. So people love the dark triad. <laughs> they, they, they love to talk about the danger of the dark triad. This is like every pop psychologist's uh, kind of favorite topic, especially when they get to gov government, right? So uh, basically, if you have a will to power, uh, then you should not have power. Uh, this is something that I think pushes a lot against kind of, again, the human condition. Uh, we'll, we'll go a little more into this so I can speak a little more on what he says, but yeah, we'll just put a pin in here and says, I think they're ignoring this, the human condition because, uh, th they really like talking about this particular uh, idea from psychology. So what these traits share is a willingness to exploit others for personal gain. People with dark triad traits tend to be more politically ambitious. They're attracted to authority for its own sake. Uh, so here's the thing, right? And this is a really hard, this is a very difficult truth for a lot of people, including American conservatives. Uh, but it's just true. Uh, governments are naturally parasitic. Okay, uh, libertarians are right about this. <laughs> they're not they're not right about the next part of it, but they're but they're part about this. Governments are natural parasites. That's always how they start. That's always how they exist, and they. Uh, they will always exploit people. That's always how governments work. The danger, the danger is to pretend that governments don't do this, that you can engineer your way out of the human condition. You can engineer your way out of the idea that governments will exploit people, that ruling classes will exploit people. This is a lie. This is a false promise, especially of the Enlightenment that you could engineer government systems in which there is no predation. There is no uh, situation where people are being exploited. This is not how humans work. It's just not. And every attempt to create this is a disaster. See communism, right? We'll, we'll just have a government, we'll have a dictatorship of the proletariat, right? This will solve the problem. But it never solves the problem. That's not how humans work. And so whenever we try to engineer getting away from this reality, we end up suffering. We end up creating far more suffering. So what we want is not a government that doesn't have people who are interested in exploiting people because that's always going to exist to some extent. I mean, it would be nice. you know. Ideally, we would want that, but that's just not going to happen. So what we need to prepare for is a government in which that's going to happen. Now, to be fair, the founding fathers knew this, right, which is why they created a system that, that checks and balances, right? This is the famous uh, Federalist, uh, you know, 51, uh, you know, the, the, you know, angel, if men were angels, then they wouldn't need this, you know, devils, you know, the, James Madison talking about this. They understood this problem. Now we can argue about whether or not they correctly uh, understood uh, kind of how to correct for it. It's a good system. It ran well for a long time, but obviously it's not running so well now. But the point is, either way, we're never going to eliminate individuals like this from 
leadership. And the problem with this system is going to be like, well, if you're selecting people at random, who watches the watchman, right? The system's not going to be totally random. Someone's administering the test. Someone's deciding what's on the test. Someone is running the lotteries, right? And we're just going to assume that all of that stuff is out in the open and, and obvious and above the board. But from what we've seen of elections, why should we believe that? And look at all of the things that people talk about with, say, college admissions, right? As it stands now, we already have people calling things like the SAT and the ACT and the LSAT racist and sexist because the, the questions are biased, right? The questions for selection are biased. And this explains why there's a difference with scores on those tests. There's no other explanation. It, it's because the test itself is racist or sexist. We can't acknowledge that there might be any other factor as to why some groups might outperform another. The only factor we can acknowledge is racism and sexism. Why would that logic not transfer over to a civics test, right? If more people of one gender or one race or one background or one religion continuously pass and do better and are selected more often, people will notice. And all of a sudden, we're back to exactly the same problem, right? We're back to exactly the same problem. People blame, you know, blaming the same issues that they blame now. And there's the, the, you're, you have not solved your issues at all. So I don't think this really addresses most of the issues. It just shuffles things around, hoping that nobody knows, notices some of the deeper problems and some of the more interesting implications that he's actually making when he talks about removing the democracy from democracy. In a study of elections worldwide, candidates who were rated by experts as having high uh, uh, psychopathy scores actually did better at the ballot box. So again, rated by experts. Oh, the experts. <laughs> We've got studies, kids. We've got experts, people with degrees. Not helpful, right? Don't trust these people at all. Um, so, uh, you know, and, 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 and they obviously uh, are going to... You know, I, I got a feeling that they probably... Uh, selected a bunch of right-wing people for this, right? Because uh, that, that's going to be the bias here. Those are going to be people most likely to portray those. Uh, in fact, we've seen that. We've seen multiple uh, studies and multiple uh, articles saying that the you know the right are the people who have this. In fact, there's the only entire premise of what's, the, what's that book? I'm trying to remember. The Authoritarian Mind or something like that. Uh, so this has been deep in kind of the left-wing theory of mind for the right for a long time. Uh, so or the authoritarian personality, that's the name. Uh, so, so this has been a myth of, their, of theirs for a long time. Uh, in the United States, presidents assessed as having a psych, a psychopathic or narcissistic uh, tendencies were more uh, persuasive with the public than their peers. Uh, yeah, I mean, probably, right? Again, uh, de demagoguery is, uh, is a skill that, that is probably uh, attached to that. But again, if you're removing that, you're just talking about getting away from public opinion, which again is what most people think equals democracy. So I'm with you that like getting rid of this incentive for leaders to have this kind of very specific persuasive ability over public opinion might yield us better leaders. I think that's actually probably a true statement, but this is not improving democracy. This is not saving democracy. This is just getting rid of democracy, which again, okay, you know, <laughs> you, know you don't have to sell me on it, uh, but, uh, but, but this is all he's doing. It's, it's just a, it's just a sleight of hand. It's just a rearrangement of words. Uh, th this has nothing to do with what anyone really understands as a democratic process. A common explanation is that they're masters of fearless uh, dominance and su uh, superficial charm, and we mistake these uh, their confidence for competency. Again, 
probably true. Uh, though, remember, this is this is also a combo deal, right? This is kind of uh, this is the great man is somebody who is both comp com competent and able to rouse the crowd. Uh, this is why people they they tend to fear people like Trump. This is why you know, history tends to feel leader, leaders like this. Understandably, it hasn't always gone so well, right? Uh, but but you know that that is uh, a combination of things that doesn't necessarily come along all the time. So yeah, there's plenty of people who are better at public speaking. A lot of people who are better at uh, rousing a crowd who have no competency in actual governance. Uh, sadly, it starts early. Even kids who display narcissistic personality traits get more leadership nominations and claim to be better leaders. In some ways, honestly, this feels like Revenge of the Nerd stuff, you know, um, and I'm obviously a nerd. I spend a lot of time talking about political theory. I don't think anyone's confused about that. Uh, but uh, th this feels like some Revenge of the Nerd stuff where it's like, oh, well, everybody who's popular and, and good at social situations, uh, they, they, they're bad, and uh, they, they shouldn't get the advantages that they came with. It's like, okay, uh, you know, I get you, but, uh, you know, th I don't feel like this is, uh, this is motivated entirely out of you know the well-being of people, and there's there's a little more than a little bit of schoolyard resentment going on here. In the dark triad, uh, if the dark triad wins elections, we all lose. Uh, again, psych you know the social scientists just love these labels, man. They love to slap the stuff on people and then build entire theories about it uh, and and use it to to push uh, public policy. Uh, when psychologists rated their first 42 American presidents, okay, I would like to be very clear here. I would not want to be ruled by anybody who's voted competent by psychologists. <laughs> like, I don't know how many psychologists you've talked to. Um, they're not always the, the, the best judge of, of, of either character or leadership ability or, or even competence. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure why these experts would be any better uh, at selecting, uh, you know, or judging who's a good president as opposed to, uh, you know, American people again at random. Uh, but so, so also, this is a funny thing that happens throughout this article that you'll notice. He's appealing to, to all kinds of you know studies and experts. Experts say this, experts say that. But at the same time, he's saying random people would be better than those with the expertise of governing. So it, it's this very strange signal where like he, he totally trusts an expertise and it's the only thing he really knows how to use to justify the arguments he's making. But at the same time, he's basically getting rid of expertise in governance. So it's just expertise in his area that matters. And again, this is a very, a very uh, social science thing to do or really any kind of academic thing to do. Expertise in my area matters and all other expertise are more or less irrelevant. And so expertise in governance, uh, you know, demonstrating that that's not useful. That's not anything that's worth it. But but collecting data on spreadsheets, that that's the real expertise. That's what matters here. Or in the case of psychologists, not even really that. Uh, and so uh, very interesting that we're constantly calling back to experts. We're constantly talking about uh, how experts say this or they qualify that. But then you're basically more or less attacking expertise in governance, saying that that's completely useless, basically. Uh, but anyway, they, they, they like their uh, they, they rank them uh, to get rid of Machiavellianism or whatever. Oh, here we go. Uh, yeah, I knew he was going to do this. Right. So when psychologists raided their first 42 American presidents, the narcissists we're more likely to take reckless action or reckless risks. By the way, sometimes you need reckless risks. Uh, that's another problem, right? That he's just assuming that level-headed uh, logical uh, choices are always the best option. Uh, again, that's a very academic, that's a very safe uh, fox versus lion type uh, personality uh, uh, assumption. 
assuming that reckless risks are never what's needed, that you never need the man of action. You always need the careful, measured, uh, kind of professorial uh, disposition. Uh, that's not actually what you always want leadership, but he assumes that's got to be the most important thing. That's what his experts assume is the most important thing because they all come from the same class. They're all part of the managerial elite. So they all have the same opinion on what makes someone a qualified leader. Uh, they make unethical decisions and get impeached. At a dash of Machiavellianism, Machiavelli I can say this, Machiavellianism, I, I only write a book on this. So, you know, good thing I can't pronounce it in, in the moment here. And in a pinch uh, of uh, psycho uh, psychopathy, psychopathy, and you get autocrats like Putin, Erdogan, Orban, and uh, you know, so so obviously uh, he's picking out people from East, you know, obviously he doesn't like Putin, but Erdogan and Orban, right? Like they're they're bad people, of course. These are the, these are the wrong types of democratic leaders. Uh, the elections that brought them uh, into uh, you know into power don't matter. Uh, they don't count because we don't like them. They might be too right wing uh, or something like that. Eliminating uh, voting and candidates with dark triad traits would uh, be uh, eliminating voting and candidates with dark triad traits would be less likely than they are now uh, than they are now to rise to the top. Of course, there's also a risk that a lottery would deprive us of the chance to select a leader with distinctive skills. Uh, again, yeah, that's true, though uh, democracy haven't necessarily proven particularly good at that. And uh, he'll go ahead and point out here. At this point, that's a risk I'm willing to take. Uh, as lucky as America uh, uh, was to have Lincoln at the helm, it's more important to limit our exposure to bad uh, character than to roll the dice on the hopes of finding the best. Okay, but are you not then rolling the dice every time you take a random leader? Again, I haven't seen anything about checks and balances or removal of this person. I'm assuming he, so I'm assuming I should be clear, even though the only thing he's talked about here is basically a randomly selected autocrat, I'm assuming in his mind, there's a bunch of, there's a, there's a, there's a manager elite behind this guy, right? A bunch of experts, right? Lots of, lots of uh, experts here that would actually end up running things because this one elected person or this one randomly selected person is not actually going to probably do the ruling. They're, they're not actually going to have the expertise necessary. They're going to have to farm all this stuff out. And again, all that does is create the situation we have now where the deep state, the bureaucracy, the cathedral, whatever you like calling it, the regime, that's what actually runs this whole thing. And the guy who's selected is just kind of a figurehead because he's not going to have the experience and he's not going to have the expertise and he's going to rely on all the institutional knowledge and all this stuff of things that's going to sit behind him. So again, like, yeah, you're, you're not going to select uh, maybe a crazy person to be your head, but you could right? at random. There's no reason that you couldn't except that you're hoping that your competency test is going to weed out all of the crazy people. Sorry, but I've seen plenty of crazy liberals who can pass a, 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 a a civics test. So I, I don't think I'd put that as uh, kind of the real, you know, the, the thing that's actually going to stop anyone uh, crazy from coming into power. Uh, besides, if Lincoln were alive now, it's hard to imagine that he'd even put the, his top hat in the ring. In a world filled with divisiveness and derision, evidence shows that members of Congress are increasing, increasingly rewarded for incivility, and they know it. So this is a weird thing to say, right? This is always a very strange thing for people to say. Uh, that that people are now like more incentivized than ever for incivility. 
the beginning of the country kind of started with the vice president shooting a cabinet member on the White House lawn, right? Like Aaron Burr just straight up uh, shot Alexander Hamilton on the White House lawn. People dueled, uh, people fist fought. Uh, the idea, you know, uh, Thomas Jefferson and uh, and John Adams called each other like hermaphrodite and, and said all kinds of crazy things to each other during, uh, you know, their campaigns accused each other of like letting women get beat in the streets. Like, like this is, you know, incivility is nothing new. Now, I'll admit that the degree of incivility has become, I think, more obvious than, say, 30 to 40 years ago, uh, kind of in the public eye. But the idea that, you know, this time is unique and that there haven't this hasn't existed in other situations, I don't think that's exactly correct. A lottery would uh, would give a fair shot to people who aren't tall enough or male enough to win. So ah, there we go. Get some social justice points in there. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's going to remove the uh, the advantages of people. But again, like I said, if it's based on a test, what if those things manifest themselves in the test instead of in the electoral process, you're right back to where you started. Uh, that there isn't really a problem. There isn't really a solution for this understanding. It's 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 the values themselves, uh, you know, and the way he understands human nature, not the selection process. That's the problem. It would also open the door to people who aren't connected or wealthy enough to run. Our broken campaign finance system lets the rich and powerful buy their way into races while preventing people without money or influence from getting on the ballot. Now, obviously, there's some truth to this, right? Like. Uh, money in politics is a huge problem. People are bought and sold. It's less about letting the only the rich run, though. I mean, to some extent, that does happen. It's more that those who aren't rich who want to run have to sell themselves to something else. Uh, that's why someone, again, like Trump was so dangerous because he had a certain amount of money of his own. That doesn't mean he didn't spend it or that he spent it all. And that doesn't mean he didn't spend other people's money. But when you have a certain amount of money yourself, you don't have to worry about this to some extent. You can kind of say the things you want to say. So it's less a problem of like people who are too rich boxing everybody else out, but that the, uh, you know, the presence of so much money and the expense of how much it costs to run a campaign makes those who are not rich beholden to someone who's not the one who's actually running, not those who would actually support them. Excuse me. Our broken campaign finance system lets the rich and powerful, by the way, and I already said that one, sorry. Uh, they're probably better candidates. Research suggests that average uh, people who grow up in low-income families tend to be more effective leaders and less likely to cheat. They're also less prone to narcissism and entitlement. So again, this is this is somewhat dubious right now. To be fair, fair, there are plenty of rich people who are born on third base and act like they hit a home run. Uh, you know, they they take daddy's money and they they start a corporation and they act like, uh, or they just inherit the the family corporation and they act like that makes them a good person. But at the same token. Uh, a lot of people who are rich are there because they worked hard and they've shown leadership skills, right? They've demonstrated the ability to delay gratification, uh, have a low time preference, uh, work with others, lead others, take risks, uh, make good decisions. Uh, so basically what you're talking about here is like, let's just get a rid of meritocracy. Now, I'm not 100% the person that says meritocracy alone is a good indicator of certain things. Again, you're you're just kind of assuming that some people who had certain advantages uh, and ended up where they were uh, are good leaders just because of that. But at the same time, a, a large amount of, you know, the ability to achieve certain things is proving your leadership ability. So I don't think saying, well, giving everybody a good shake who hasn't proven that is necessarily an advantage of the system. Uh, switching to uh, switching to sortition 
uh, would save a lot of money too. The 2020 elections alone cost upward of 14 billion, and there's no uh, campaign, uh, and there's no campaign, there's no special interest offering to help pay for it. Again, good point, but this is just a general getting rid of the democratic process thing. It's not really specific to picking people at random. Uh, he, your your random autocrat would avoid this problem. Yes, that's true. Uh, finally, there's no voting. No voting also means no boundaries to gerrymander and no election electoral college dispute. So he's saying basically, uh, we don't have to worry about certain uh, certain controversial parts of the electoral process. But you notice he only cites the things that the left complain about uh, the gerrymandering. Uh, they love this idea that the Republicans gerrymander everything, uh, and the electoral college. Uh, which you know is just that large populous states shouldn't rule the entire country. That California and New York should not control the destiny of the entire fifty states. But of course, they would eliminate that stuff, right? So that's the stuff he talks about. He doesn't talk about mail-in ballots or you know I I any of the other um, fortifications that have entered our electoral system. He stays with very safe, uh, very non-controversial, uh, very leftist uh, uh, kind of uh, questions about democracy. Instead of questioning whether uh, billions of ballots were counted accurately, we could just watch the lottery live like we do with teams getting their lottery picks in the NBA draft, uh, which is, of course, yeah, anyway. So I'm not going to read the, the last two one here, because the last two paragraphs, because it doesn't really say anything of, of, uh, of real importance here after that. Uh, but I just wanted to take you through this. It's very revealing about kind of his attitudes about democracy. Uh, very interesting the way that language is switched around to avoid uh, more dangerous, uh, more controversial things. Uh, he's not really talking about democracy in the way that anyone understands it, uh, but he is talking about removing it in the safest way possible uh, to to kind of get the applause of leftists. Though I have to say, overall, um, you know, there the, the article does point out some real problems with the electoral process, the democratic process. Uh, incentives that are bad, and uh, you know, so so to his credit, uh, there there are while while there is a overabundance of uh, of uh, questionable uh, expertise citing here uh, and uh, questionable language reconstruction, uh, there there were some good points made. All right, guys, so it looks like there are a number of uh, super chats here, so I'll switch over to those real quick. Uh, Colin for five dollars, uh, look into how the FBI infiltrated the Joe Miller campaign, and also how they screwed up over to Senator Ted Stevens. Uh, yeah, again, lots of um, lots of things that have been revealed, uh, even again, just through the Twitter files, uh, that kind of thing about uh, the FBI and uh, you know our, our intelligence agencies, the way that they insert themselves. Again, you don't really have to get into any conspiracy theories, folks. Every, everything is, is documented. It's out there. Uh, oftentimes it's in, admitted in the pages of uh, publications like The Times or sorry, uh, Time magazine. And uh, so uh, you don't have to reach very far to kind of look. You know, and then obviously the fact that they're trying to uh, imprison <laughs> their, their main political opposition, that's all happening. They're actually going to be live streaming that uh, they, they announced here. Georgia is, which could be interesting. That could very easily backfire on them. Trump could could make quite the idiot of them in court, but we'll have to see, obviously. Uh, Creeper Weirdo for $5. Thank you very much, sir. Why don't you vote for the Republican who will just sit there and be rotund? The left likes the round one, uh, whatever his name in, is Orange Man Bad. Uh, yeah, they, they really love Chris Christie, don't they? They are the, the left can't can't stop putting Chris Christie in front of crowds, um, no matter how ridiculous he is. Uh, Connor O'Hare here for five dollars. If monarchy is the way, why not do it right? Yeah, again, it really feels like 
he's just creating like monarch for a year or again he's he's very he doesn't give any specifics there's no specifics on how long this person would serve if there's a mechanism for their removal if they're doing a bad job if there is that mechanism who would decide that they get removed right uh and and then how would this administration actually be run uh would the would the person who's selected actually be in charge would it all just be handed off to basically this oligarchy behind the scenes this bureaucracy this managerial class None of that is, is specified here. If he's going straight up, this person's just dictator, then yeah, basically you've just created a really bad monarchy. If he's going the other direction, well, then he's basically just re reinstated all the problems in our current system. He's just removed the only outlet that people had to give any kind of input uh, in the first place. Uh, so uh, ref ref here for uh, $5, just a, just a donation there. Thank you very much. I very much appreciate it. Uh, let's see. Arthur T here for $25. Thank you very much. Does it, uh, does it appear that the main purpose of legacy media is to keep up the charade of legitimacy for the democratic process and the bicameral political system in general? Yes, that, that is uh, one of their main purposes. It's not the main purpose. Their main purpose is to uh, disseminate regime propaganda and make sure that uh, they have control over this democratic process, but then they also prop it up because that, that's you know a, a key part of this. A veneer of normalcy, pretending that we're still in 2004. Yeah, that that's right, Arthur. That you you've hit the nail exactly on the head. Uh, they're they're going to continue to do that. That is their job. Uh, the 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 key when when legitimacy in your country is given out uh, through uh, public opinion. Uh, when you believe in a popular sovereignty, then the key to staying in power for a ruling class is to control popular opinion. And the best way to do that is to control the mass media. Uh, let's see here. Tiny Rick for four ninety nine. Uh, let them put this into practice within the New York Times leadership structure for a year or two. Then we can talk. Love what you do. Keep up the good work. Yeah, no, thanks, man. And yeah, that's a that's a really good uh, that's a really good uh, suggestion. Yeah, guys, let's just go ahead and uh, we'll, we'll, since this is such a great system, right? We want to know we want to avoid any of your dark triad traits over at the New York Times. So we're going to reinstate this system uh, first in the New York Times for ten years. And then we'll go ahead and uh, try it out in America. We'll we'll see how we go from there. Uh, Kate J here for four ninety nine. Do you think the author is just trying to justify a houseplant uh, Fetterman Bitem like vessel uh, that the regime can easily control to do their bidding? Uh, yeah, I mean that's a that's a good point too, right? We're in a situation where you'll notice that even though it's probably very obvious to people uh, that we are selecting uh, very inept people, people who are too old or have brain damage. Uh, as our representatives, so they can just be easily manipulated by the bureaucracy and the money men behind them. Uh, that that's a little too obvious, and so but that's an obvious problem with democracy. But he doesn't bring it up at all, uh, even though that should have been like an easy slam dunk. So that's that's uh, very obvious in its absence, uh, and it's it's pretty fair point to say that this might be setting up uh, you know that kind of understanding that hey anyone can do this job, uh, so why not somebody who's been selected even though they can't string together sentences. I think that's an entirely fair point. All right. And we've got one more here. Uh, Thogo for $5. Are they talking about Biden? Uh, sorry, I didn't notice exactly in there when you when you posted that. So I'm not sure uh, when you're referencing it. I, I think that they kind of, uh, oh, you're, maybe you're making a joke. Are they, you know, all these problems uh, could apply to Biden. Yeah, that's fair, right? He would, uh, if, 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 Hunter, if Hunter Biden doesn't fall into the dark, tri dark triad, who does, right? Like, uh, that 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 would be somebody who would most definitely qualify. So 
uh, yeah, I think uh, I think the Bidens would most definitely be uh, qualified uh, under uh, is the dangerous people they're talking about here. But of course, he would never draw attention to that. All right, guys. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. But thank thank you, everybody, for coming by. I appreciate everybody with super chats. A lot of good questions there. Uh, thank you for joining us. Of course, if it's your first time uh, stopping by the channel, please make sure to go ahead and subscribe to the Oren McIntyre show on YouTube. Make sure that you go ahead and get the notifications and stuff, guys. I hear a lot of people say, hey, I thought you went live, but I didn't get the notification. I didn't know it was going on. Make sure that you go ahead and click that button uh, so you know uh, when we're going live. And then, of course, if you want to get these broadcasts as podcasts, make sure that you're subscribing to our McIntyre show on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, the podcast has just been exploding, guys. It's been wild to see the number of downloads. I very much appreciate you joining me there. It's great to see that we've got the crowd uh, with the live stream, but then so many people are also watching it. And I get you. I'm somebody who's who's constantly driving. I'm mowing the lawn. I'm working out. I'm doing things, you know, where I, I can't, uh, you know, always be live at the broadcast. So uh, it's definitely great to have that uh, podcast version. I appreciate so many of you joining me that way. All right, guys. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap everything else up, but I hope you have a great extended weekend. And as always, I will talk to you next time.